0: Coming up next, Real Israel Talk Radio, program 21, episode 103. The concept of a Damascus road experience in Acts chapter 9 is not unique to Paul. Anyone who desires a redemption through Yeshua will go through a Damascus road experience. This idea goes back to the story of Abram, in Genesis chapter 12 verse 1. Shalom, I'm Avi Ben Mordechai. Welcome back to Real Israel Talk radio. On last week's episode 102 and part six of my series on the Dead Sea Scrolls, I spoke largely about the biblical dry desert land of Israel called the Arava, and also the Midbar, an area that straddles the northwest shores of the Dead Sea. I suggested that we might consider an alternative understanding as to why the Qumran community would name their settlement Damascus. Therefore, with this episode on the Dead Sea Scrolls, I want to continue with some thoughts about the term Damascus and its relationship to the Dead Sea Qumran settlement of people from the tribes of Israel and Judah. All right, so with all that being said, permit me to begin with this question. Did the Qumran community of the House of Tzadok along with their many supporters and followers at the Dead Sea, have one or more specific religious, political, or social reasons for naming their settlement Damascus. Now, among the many hundreds of scrolls and thousands of scroll fragments that were found in the nearby caves... One scroll referred to as the Covenant of Damascus begins with some very interesting declarations. And this Covenant of Damascus document is abbreviated by the scholars as CDB and further identified as 4Q267, 4Q267. And I'm going to be reading from fragment 2, lines 7 through 15. God remembered the covenant with the forefathers and raised from Aaron men of knowledge and from Israel wise men and made them listen. And they dug the well, a well about which Moses said, and this is based on Numbers 21.18, a well which the princes dug, which the nobles of the people inquired with the staff. The well is the law, and those who dug it are the repentant of Israel who left the land of Judah and lived in the dwellings of Damascus. All of them, whom God called princes, for they all sought him, and their renown has not been repudiated in anyone's mouth. And the spade is the interpreter of the law. From this declaration of scroll fragment 4Q 267, we learn seven things. Number one. A covenant was established between Jehovah and Israel's men of knowledge. Number two, a well of water from the days of Moses is identified spiritually as the Torah or the law. Number three, each man among the nobles of the people dug the well based on Numbers 21.18 being led to do so with the help of the rod or the staff of Messiah. In other words, by inquiring of him. And according to scripture, he is called Shiloh and the stone of Israel. This is found in Genesis 49.10 and Genesis 49.24. First, Genesis 49.10, the scepter Shall not depart from Yehuda or Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience or the Shema of the people. Then Genesis 49:24: "From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Let us now go to the fourth lesson that we learn from Scroll Fragment 4Q 267. Each of the noted well diggers are among the repentant of Israel who come to disconnect from Yehuda's family of corrupt leaders and lawgivers, or as it is understood in some additional writings, that they were usurpers of the house of Zadok. Number five, each of the well-diggers among the repentant of Israel who have come away from Yehuda, they live in the dwellings of Damascus. Number six, each of the well-diggers are called princes or nobles with an excellent reputation among all the people of Israel. And finally, number seven, each of those who dig the well do so with a digging tool, which is identified as the interpreter of the law, which appears to be a reference to something that Yeshua spoke about in Matthew 13, 52. He said, Every scribe, instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Now, concerning this Damascus of Qumran, I would like you to recall from our previous program that I spoke about Genesis fourteen fourteen with its reference to the city of Damascus and also in Deuteronomy six five, and its reference to the land of Aram. Historically, we know that over many centuries, the city of Damascus and the land of Aram changed ownership a number of times. By the beginning of the first century of this common era, which is identified with the abbreviation C. E. period, or simply the Common Era. With the beginning of this first century of the Common Era, Damascus, the city, was already legally annexed to Rome and its vast republic. Then, before the start of Yeshua's ministry, and certainly during the days of Paul, the Apostle of Yeshua, the land of Aram, and the city of Damascus were both part of a large Roman imperial province. According to that which is recorded in the texts of the Covenant of Damascus, also known as the Damascus Document, and also Community Rule, known also as the Manual of Discipline, It begs the question, why would the Qumran community and its allies or supporters dwelling at these northwest shores of the Dead Sea refer to their desert settlement as Damascus? It's a question that I have asked many, many times over the years. Now, on the previous Dead Sea Scrolls program that I did, that's part six, Episode 102, I gave a possible interpretation explaining that the term Damascus could be broken down into a contraction of two Hebrew words. They are dole, meaning he who draws out, spelled Dalid vav lamedhe, and also mashke, meaning a well or water source, to quench one's thirst for the master's Torah or the master's law. Mashke is spelled in Hebrew, mem, shin, kuf, hey. I explained that when the two ideas, dole and mashke, are kind of glued together, so to speak, it is possible to understand the meaning as that of drawing out water from a well to quench one's thirst in a dry and thirsty land. This would, of course, make very good sense considering two biblical references, one coming from Isaiah and one coming from the words of Yeshua. First, let's take a look at Isaiah 12, verse 3. In Hebrew, Uvshav Besoson mimane ha Yeshua. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of the salvation. And John 7, 37 through 38, on the last day, that great day of the chag, or the festival, Yeshua stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, Let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart or belly will flow rivers of living water. But surely this explanation cannot be the one and only definitive answer to be derived from the Dead Sea Scrolls covenant of Damascus. In other words, I have another thought about this matter, and I would ask you to permit me to give you another analysis to explain, perhaps, why the Qumran community might have called their settlement Damascus. In the scroll of the covenant of Damascus, there are some six mentions of the term Damascus. Among these... One reference stands out in particular from the prophecy coming from Amos chapter 5 in Hebrew Scripture. Contextually, Yehovah speaks to the house of Israel about their ongoing idolatry and unfaithfulness to his covenant. So Jehovah concludes his criticism saying in Amos 527, Therefore, I will send you into captivity beyond Damascus, says Jehovah, whose name is Elohim Tsevaot. I'll deal with this idea of the word beyond Damascus shortly. First, notice here the side by side terms captivity and Damascus. The notion of living in the dwellings of Damascus, as cited in the Dead Sea Scrolls at CDB 4Q267 and Fragment 2, notice it's consistent with the expression the interpreter of the law, and it looks like it's a statement referring to the spirit of Messiah, who is the true interpreter of the law. Now, I would say that this has scriptural support from a prophecy that we can find in Ezekiel or Yeheskel, who, by the way, was a Kohen from the house of Zadok. Here is what Jehovah said in Ezekiel 11, 15 through 16. Son of man, your brethren, your relatives, the man of your exile—I'm translating that directly from Hebrew—and all of the house of Israel in its entirety are those about whom the dwellers of Jerusalem have said, Get far away from Jehovah! this land has been given to us as a possession. Therefore say, thus says Adonai Yehovah, although I have cast them far off among the Goyim, or the Gentiles, and although I have scattered them among the lands, yet I shall be a little sanctuary for them in the lands where they have gone." Now, the Hebrew term for a little sanctuary is mikdash ma'at, meaning a little holy place or a little house of the holy. In the Dead Sea Scroll known as the Covenant of Damascus, again, CDB 4Q267, the scribe gives us another point of view that to use the term Damascus it means something more let us now return back to the prophecy of Amos 5:27 in Hebrew scripture in Amos 5:27 the context specifically refers to two words captivity and Damascus however For the scribe who wrote the Covenant of Damascus scroll, I don't think he was suggesting purely a literal captivity into the city of Damascus and into the land of Aram. Instead, I think the scribe was telling us that the term Damascus might very well be a cipher, or if you will, a biblical code word for a physical and spiritual captivity not necessarily originating from Jehovah. And when I say not necessarily originating from Jehovah, I mean a captivity that we choose to enter into ourselves, whether knowingly or perhaps unknowingly. Yes, it is true that Jehovah. Can and will set up an individual, a people, even a nation, to go into an unwanted physical and spiritual captivity. Scripture calls this an induced blindness, such as what is written in Zephaniah or Zephaniah, chapter 1, verse 17. And yes, you can even find the same idea in 2 Corinthians. 3:14 as paul writes it but surely it cannot be that jehovah overlooks or forgets that he blinded some among his people and then for his own reasons he sends them into a captivity or exile beyond damascus as if to say that jehovah just simply forgot about his people and says oops my my people i forgot oh oh i'm sorry oh my memory is failing me oh what to do no 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 never it's not like this with jehovah he does not forget his people whether they are in a voluntary exile of their own choosing or an involuntary exile that jehovah himself chooses for them It is not Jehovah's will that they end up staying in that exile. And if you ask me, I think that's good news. And that just tells me how much he loves each one of us, that he comes out to give us an opportunity to get rescued from captivity. But this leads me to a point that I want to make. I remain intrigued that this is where the biblical term Damascus picks up some additional deeper meanings, and we'll have a closer look at this in just a moment. The initial point that I want to make is that we should not be hyper focused on the literal term Damascus in and of itself. Although, overall, I do think it still is important to the story and to the Qumran biblical theology. With this, let me give you an example. Hebrew history begins with Abram, or Abram, who traveled with his family from Ur-Kasdim, Ur of the Chaldees. And he went towards Haran of the district of Damascus. And we're going to learn this from Genesis 1131. And they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans, or Ur of Kasdim, to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran, implying the district or the region of Damascus in the land of Aram. And they dwelt there. This idea of Genesis 11.31 is further explained for us in a number of ancient Jewish historical writings, as well as in Hebrew Scripture. For instance, in the historical record of the Jewish historian Josephus Flavius, in his writings of Antiquities, Book 1, Chapter 7, Paragraph 2, which, if you're following along, will be Sections 159 through 160. Here's what he writes. Abram reigned at Damascus, being a foreigner who came with an army out of the land above Babel, or Babylon, called the land of the Kasdim. Now, the name of Abram is even still famous in the land of Damascus. Now, in another historical work, which is referenced as the Chronicles of Urachmiel in chapter 35, paragraph 2, listen to what is given to us here. Now, it came to pass when Abram came from Babylon or Babel, meaning Ur of the Kasdim, he committed himself to Damascus, he and his household, and was made king over that city, for Eleazar was then the ruler of Damascus. But when he saw that Yudivavhe was with Abram, he presented him with the kingdom and surrendered himself to his service. This is the same Eleazar that we read about in the book of Genesis when Abram sends Eleazar out to fetch your wife for Isaac okay so the statement continues in this section of the chronicles of urachmiel saying there existed a certain neighborhood in damascus called the dwelling place of abram this they honored exceedingly now we also have this from scripture In Deuteronomy, or Devorim, chapter 26, verse 5, My father was an Aramean, wandering, or you could say, alternatively, about to perish. The statement is about the travels of Yaakov, or Jacob, who is identified with Damascus of Aram. And this is confirmed with Scripture In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 8, it reads, For the head, or the rosh, of Aram is Damascus. So we come to understand that there is a connection between Damascus, Haran, and the land of Aram. Nonetheless, let us go on now to look at a deeper meaning of what Damascus might have meant to the Qumran community. Again, in the prophecy of Amos chapter 5, verse 27, we learn this. Therefore, I will send you into captivity beyond Damascus, says Jehovah, whose name is Elohim Sevaot. I took the liberty to read this very carefully in Hebrew. And the Hebrew text gives me a deeper meaning of the statement that is identified as, I will send you into captivity beyond Damascus. And we'll come back to take a look at this and so much more after we take a quick break, okay? This is Avi Ben Mordechai, and you're listening to Real Israel Talk Radio. You're listening to Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, Program 21, Episode 103. Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, here's your host, Avi Ben-Mordechai. Welcome back to Real Israel Talk Radio. I'm Avi Ben-Mordechai. Let's continue where we left off just before the break. In the prophecy of Amos, chapter five, verse twenty-seven, we learn this: "Therefore, I will send you into captivity beyond Damascus," says Jehovah, whose name is Elohim Sevaot. The Hebrew text gives me a deeper meaning of the statement that is identified as "I will send you into captivity." Beyond Damascus. Again, almost 527. I will cause all of you to go into captivity, or referring to an exile, from this. And the this is referring to the previous verse about the gods that the people idolized. So the prophecy says they're going into a captivity because of all of the things that they were doing regarding idolizing these gods, as it's mentioned in almost 526. And then the prophecy goes on to state that they are going to go further onward to or towards Damascus. Again, they are going to go further onward to or towards Damascus. So what am I getting at here? I think this strongly implies a Damascus captivity and exile of a spiritual dimension, representing the polytheistic religious culture of Aram, where Hadad is the one who provides for his brothers, who are gods with quietness and sustenance. And this word in Aramaic, Hadad, is translated from the Akkadian language as Adad. This area of Damascus' captivity and exile was an area of Bedouin culture that Abram grew up with. Likely, this culture involved the worship of the great Lord of Sikanu, a deity whose almighty providence ranks him above all the other gods of the culture and presents him as a storm god or a weather deity. And again, this was the religious culture that Abram grew up in. And in the end, the Qumran people would have likely understood Damascus as Abram did. Surely there is only one way out of all religious captivity and exile in any one of a number of spiritual dimensions that we might submit ourselves to or enter into. Here, the idea of Damascus might be understood as submitting unto a captivity of death and slavery— Whereas to leave all of that, one must have his or her own Damascus road experience, which I will get to in greater detail in a moment. Essentially, we are being asked, like Abram, to submit unto the word of Jehovah, who can turn our captivity and death into freedom and life, according to... Yehovah's will and purpose. So we learn from Genesis 12.1 that Yehovah called to Abram and instructed him to experience his own Damascus road deliverance away from Haran and away from his family and all the idolatry of that Bedouin culture. Take a look at Genesis 12.1. Now Jehovah had said to Abram get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. By reading and studying what happened to Abram in Genesis 12 verse 1, I think this is how Paul understood Jehovah's calling. For example, let's read Romans 8:28. And we know that all things work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And then there is also this that Paul wrote in Romans eleven twenty eight through 29, concerning the gospel, the death and resurrection of Yeshua, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning the election or the choosing, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts and calling of Elohim or God are irrevocable. In other words, we can leave the gifts behind and walk away from Him, but Jehovah has no intention of leaving us behind in the dirt and forgetting about us in our exile. We have the power to choose life or to choose death. And we learn about that in a lot of places of Hebrew scripture. So then I would ask, where did Paul get all of these ideas from? Well, I think he got it from the history of our biblical patriarchs and matriarchs. Consider this. Abram started in a Damascus type of captivity, and then in Genesis 12:1 he was called to leave it all behind and walk away on his own Damascus road experience and in doing so he was called to follow the word of Jehovah into a new land not knowing where he was going and this is according to Hebrews 11:8 through 10 equally In the idolatrous environment of that Damascus captivity of Aram, even Rebecca, Rivka, she went away on that same Damascus road experience in Genesis 24, verse 4. Now, it was also true for Yaakov or Jacob, who also had a Damascus road experience when he came to the land of Aram in Damascus in Genesis 28.2. And then later, he comes out on that road to Damascus captivity in Genesis 31.21. And by now, you're probably thinking, well, wait a minute, that's what happened to Paul. Well, you're absolutely correct. About 20 centuries later, there was Shaul of Tarsus, or Paul, the apostle of Yeshua, who was a great learned man in Judaism, and yet he too was seized by his own religious idolatry and deceptions. So, Jehovah arranged for Paul to travel out of Jerusalem on his own Damascus Road experience, and in doing so, he traveled. On the road to Damascus, where Jehovah met him along the way, and Yeshua blinded him. He was told to enter Damascus blinded, as a kind of wandering Aramean, just like Jacob in Deuteronomy 26, verse 5. There, at that Damascus of Qumran, Paul spent two full years learning of Jehovah and understanding the doctrines of Yeshua through the way, the truth, and the life, which is why Paul's enemies called him a leader of the way, the sect of the Nazarenes or the Netzerim. Thus, we could say that Paul was once Damascus bound in his blind wanderings, but then was later found and restored because Jehovah spoke to him on his life-changing Damascus road experience, as we learn from the book of Acts 9.27. And he, Barnabas, declared to them, referring to Yeshua's apostles all gathered together in Jerusalem, how he, referring to Paul, had seen the master on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Yeshua. So as I perceive the cipher or the code language in this story coming from the term Damascus, I can see that there is a restorative component that is built into the meaning of Damascus. In other words, The road to or towards Damascus, as it is identified in the book of Amos, chapter 5, verse 27, that idea is not purely about being sent into some physical captivity, though I don't necessarily rule that out. More so, it is about being rescued through the experience of one's personal Damascus road experience, or a Damascus type of captivity, with spiritual eyesight gifted to the one that has eyes to see and ears to hear. Let's take a look at Amos chapter 9, verse 9, for surely... I will command and sift the house of Israel among all nations, as grain is sifted in a sieve, yet not the smallest grain shall fall to the ground. Okay, so we can see that a Damascus type of captivity can and often does serve a great purpose for Jehovah. And what do you think that purpose is? I think it's to wean his people away from following the customs of the nations with all of their festival laws, their social ideologies, and their idolatries, and to disengage them from the philosophies of the world's classes of intelligentsia. What do I mean? You know how we often find ourselves drawn to scholars and academics out there and people who just know everything. Oh, they speak all the languages. They understand all the mysteries and the wisdom of Scripture. No, they don't. Not necessarily. And we tend to worship these classes of scholars and say, well, I'm of so-and-so. Well, I'm of so-and-so. No, I'm of so-and-so. But, to help us understand this better, here are the words of Jehovah through ezekiel twenty twenty three through twenty five therefore, I also gave them up to statutes that were not good and judgments by which they could not live. Therefore, let us once again understand that this term Damascus is about captivity, whether it is our own voluntary captivity or an involuntary captivity, because Jehovah sends us into that blindness. Whatever the case may be, our captivity, any captivity that we enter, is always going to be for our good. Because if we are willing to have eyes to see and ears to hear His voice, he will turn us around on that road towards damascus and he will restore us from our captivity i do believe that therefore we should once again hear these words from amos chapter 9 verse 9 again for surely i will command and sift the house of israel among all goyim meaning among all the nations. And by the way, the Hebrews, they are called Goyim in the book of Deuteronomy. They are. So you can't say, well, Goyim only means non-Jews or non-Israelites or non-Hebrews. That is not the case. Goyim can also mean Israel, Jews, and Hebrews, because If we don't have our eyes focused on Jehovah and we have not come out on our own Damascus road experience, then we are still Goyim, because we're embracing Goyish doctrines, the doctrines of the nations. So here we have in this passage of almost nine nine, Jehovah says that Israel will be set out among the Goyim and will be sifted as grain in a sieve. And yet he goes on to say not the smallest grain shall fall to the ground. So as I said, I think the scribe or scribes who wrote the scroll of the covenant of Damascus knew very well the depths of the word Damascus. You see, it's about captivity to freedom, slavery and death to life. So what better place to see this truth than to see it from the story of Abram and his nephew Lot or Lot in Genesis 14, 12 and Genesis 14, 14. They, referring to the four kingdoms of the north country who come to fight against five kings of the plains in the Jordan Valley, they also took away Lot, That is Abram's brother's son. That makes him Abram's nephew. And then the text goes on to say, Now, when Abram heard that his brother or his nephew Lot was taken captive by a large group of these men from the land of Aram or Damascus, what happens? It says Abram and his servants attacked them attacked those men and pursued them as far as Kovah, which is north of Damascus. Therefore, it is defined in Jehovah's mind that the terms captivity and Damascus are knit together as one idea with a built-in dual theme of death versus life, Slavery versus salvation. Once again, permit me to repeat the word of Scripture at almost nine nine. For surely I will command and will sift the house of Israel among all Goyim or nations, as grain is sifted in a sieve. Now compare this idea to what Yeshua said. When he spoke to Peter or Kepha, who later came to be entangled in his own physical, spiritual, and emotional Damascus-type captivity of internal strife, guilt, and I should say absolute shame after he denied Yeshua three times. Here it is in Luke twenty-two, thirty-one through 32 And the Master, Yeshua, said, Shimon, Shimon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as grain. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. You see, indeed, Shimon or Peter was restored and returned to faith in Jehovah when he entered into his own Damascus road experience that depth of mental, emotional, and physical captivity that he knew all too well. therefore we learn in matthew twenty six seventy five and after his denial of Yeshua referring to Peter. Peter remembered the word of Yeshua, who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he, referring to Peter, went out and wept bitterly. Ah, this was Kepha's Damascus Road experience. This was it. He went from a mental and emotional Captivity to freedom, from death to life. Then not long after Yeshua's third day resurrection, what happens to Peter? What happens to Kepha? Well, after his restoration, he went forth with so much boldness, and he spoke to the hearts of the religious leaders in Jerusalem who were responsible for putting Yeshua On that execution tree, and he said to them in Acts two, verse thirty-six: Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Yeshua, whom you crucified, both Adonai and Mashiach, or Messiah. And then in Acts two, thirty-eight, Peter said to them, "Repent." Wow, what boldness coming from a guy who denied Yeshua and then went out and wept bitterly. He's got this boldness about him. And he says, let every one of you be immersed in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Ruach HaKodesh, that is the Holy Spirit, for the promise is to you, And to your sons, and to all those who are afar off, as many as Jehovah our Elohim will call, just like he did with Abram in Genesis 12, verse 1. So, all this stuff about grain being sifted in a sieve, and that not one grain will be lost in the ground. Because of the calling that Jehovah has on someone's life, that's that idea of an irrevocable gift, because we can walk away from it, but never will He walk away from us. Never. So, this idea about grain that is sifted and falls into the ground, though none of it is left to its own to rot, we learn the significance of all of this in John. 1224, when Yeshua said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a kernel of grain falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. However, Jehovah always has an opening ready for a resurrection unto life. But therein was Kepha's full appreciation for the truth of one's Damascus Road experience because he says concerning Yeshua in Acts 2.24, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, referring to both the first and the second death, because it was not possible that Yeshua should be held captive by death. So then this statement completes the word of Yeshua in John 12:24 but if he referring to the seed if he dies he produces much grain this is the image of scriptures damascus road experience for each of us it's a captivity that he calls us out of if we have eyes to see and ears to hear as well as Jehovah's cipher or code language for death and resurrection. What I've tried to show you is that the biblical term Damascus likely has a very deep underlying message that goes well beyond its physicality as a city of Aram. The term likely contains a number of sub-themes involving slavery to freedom, captivity to redemption, and death to life. The term also appears to carry themes of restoration and resurrection while on our own personal Damascus road experience. We're on that road to or towards Damascus as we can see multiple examples of this in all of Scripture. The word also seems to carry the theme of drawing water from a well for the salvation of our soul and I'm sure there are many other themes built into that terminology please come back and join me next time and we'll talk further about these ideas navigate over to our website at www.cominghome.co.il I'm Avi ben Mordechai, and you're listening to Real Israel Talk Radio